are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. this sense in the first service um, where the first service, the spirit of the first service was just so good. And a lot of the spirit of the second service has been the same way. But I had this sense in the first service, this feeling of now I'm up here and sensing God say to me, just don't mess it up. And yet in the second service, I come up and somehow my mic doesn't work. So I apologize for that. But I do want to start off this morning as we begin to continue this series called Momentum. I want to share one story with you. Um, One of the tasks that I have in my family is that every morning, it's my job to take our kids to school and to drop them off. And so our kids go to two different schools. Our daughter, Kara, she's in first grade, so she goes to UConn Elementary. And our son, Micah, is in fourth grade, and he goes to um, the UConn Intermediate School. And when we take them to school, we have to drop them off by 7.30 and by 7.40. Now, in Indiana, that is not what time we had to drop them off, but we had to drop them off much later. So 7.30 and 7.40 come a lot faster and a lot harder for our kids here. And so I don't know what it is like for your family in taking your kids to school, but sometimes my kids get a little bit grumpy. And sometimes when I'm taking them to school, it's not the most pleasant. So I'm usually backing out of the driveway early in the morning, and we had just rushed to get into the car, and I'm bracing for an argument. Because I don't know if it happens in your home, but it sometimes happens in mine. Sometimes my first and fourth fourth grader, they like to argue. But they like to argue about things that don't matter. I mean, there are times where I tell them, I wish you would just argue about something that would matter for once, right? But no, they don't do that. And so I'm bracing myself as we're coming out of the community, but there's something different about this day. Earlier this week, I'm coming out of the community, and I realize we're making good time. And I realize that my son and daughter, Mike and Karis, they're they're getting along. They're not arguing. And so I don't say anything because I don't want to interrupt this. we got a good thing going. We get halfway to the school, and I realize they're still not arguing. We're still making good time. We are building some kind of positive momentum here. Things are going well. I get in line to drop them off, and still, my kids are getting along. This is starting to shape up to be a day where I'm wondering, is today the day that I play the lottery? Is today that good of a day? Is it shaping up like that? We get in line, and we're inching forward toward the the door. And then there's this odor that I pick up in the car. Now, when you've got a first and a fourth grader, it's not uncommon to smell all kinds of things that they emit, Right? But I'm trying to decide, do I bring attention to this or do I not? And I asked them. I could, it just lingered. It, it didn't go away. So I asked them. I was like, all right, who did it? And that's immediately when Micah says, oh, that one was Karis. That was Karis this time. And then Karis says, no, 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 no. That's your brand, Micah. That was you this time. And Micah says, no, that's your flavor, Karis. That was you. And all I needed to do was to lower the window. But no, I, I didn't open the window. I opened my mouth. And what I realized, right... What I realized is here now we have this positive momentum moving in the right direction. And because I couldn't just be silent, now all of that momentum had unraveled like that. 
And now momentum is building in the opposite direction because now they're arguing and it culminates in Karis kicking Micah. And now I've got to say some more stuff. And so I've got to say to Karis, Karis, why did you kick Micah? And Micah, can you just leave her alone? And at that moment, the teacher comes up to the car door, opens it and says, good morning. How is everybody today? And that's when, of course, you put on the happy face and you say, hey, have a good day. But when I dropped my kids off, my heart was heavy because the day started right. We were building momentum. We were heading in the right direction. But I was reminded that when it comes to relationships, relational momentum is fragile. It sometimes takes years to build trust with someone, but it can be lost in just a moment. Relational momentum is fragile. And this is something that we all know well, right? Here at BFC, we have this value where we say that we value being with one another. It's important to us at this church to value being with one another, being with other believers, because we believe, and the way that we practice this is that we practice this through group life, because we believe that it's important, and we believe that the best context for growth is in a group, in a community, because it's there where we can best learn how to follow Jesus, where we can learn how to be transformed by Jesus, and where we can actually partner with Jesus in his mission. We believe that best happens in group life. But here's what else we know. We also know relational momentum is fragile. And I'm tempted today to give a 20-minute infomercial about why you should be in a group, about why you should be doing life with other believers, about why we should be together, be with one another. But here's what I've realized. The last couple of years have been highly disruptive for all of us. And I don't think we're asking the question why. I don't think we're asking why should I do life with one another because we've all spent time apart. We know why that's important. I think the question that we're actually asking is how. How is it possible that after we have spent so much time apart, how can you actually be together with one another? Beyond that, it wasn't just the pandemic that disrupted relational momentum for many of us. For the last few years, we've lived through highly divisive events, highly divisive issues in our country. And for some of us, we spent more time online, and what we've realized is the people that we thought we were kindred spirits with, we're starting to wonder, are we really kindred spirits? How can I really be with you when we seem to see the world so different? How do we as a church be with one another when in our church we worship the same Savior, but we see the world so different? See, I don't think we're asking the question, why should we be with one another? I think we're asking the question, how could we possibly be with one another when it seems like we're all so different? The Apostle Paul, he writes to this collection of churches in Ephesus. And it's a letter that I think we would gain a lot from today. He writes to these churches and he has this one aim. His main aim is to summarize all of the gospel for both Jews and Gentiles, and to be able to do it in a way where he then opens their eyes to see how all of the gospel impacts all of their life, how it impacts every relationship. 
And so he starts it off in chapter 2. If you look at chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he addresses the Gentiles directly. And this is what he says. He says, remember that you were one time far off and without hope. But now, through the blood of Jesus, you have been brought near. Remember, you at one time were on the outside, but you have actually now been brought on the inside. And then he also goes on in a few verses later, and he addresses the conflict that was going on between Gentiles and Jews. And what he does is he, des- he describes that conflict as being this kind of dividing wall of hostility. And what he says is, because of what Jesus has done, that that dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed. It has come down. You see, for Paul, the gospel wasn't just this kind of important message and news for us of how Jesus has made us reconciled with the Father. For Paul, he's summarizing the gospel in a way in which he's showing them that the gospel has power to reconcile you with one another. That it's not just about us and the Father, but it's about us with one another. And then he gets to verse 19, and this is what he says. After he has summarized the gospel for them, he says this. Consequently, so because of what Jesus has done, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. We could camp out there pretty much all day, couldn't we? A church of our size, it is very possible that you can come and you can worship and you can sit in close proximity with other people. Worship the same Savior, and yet functionally still live as foreigners and strangers. But Paul says, no, because of the gospel, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people, and you are also members of his household. In one verse, Paul goes from this kind of nameless, faceless group of strangers, and he says, you are fellow citizens with God's people. Actually, more than that, you are members of the same household. You are family. And then he goes on and he says this. This family, this household, is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, there's a, there's a way in which Paul understands the gospel that I don't know if we always understand it. Because what he just presented in just a few verses was not only good news for the Ephesians, it was, it's good news for us. But we live in a world in which when we hear the word gospel, we immediately think that the gospel is the story of how Jesus has brought about reconciliation between me and the Father. How Jesus is your personal Savior, right? And while that is true... Is Jesus our Savior? Absolutely. Is he our personal Savior? Of course. What Paul is getting at here is that the gospel is not only personal, but it is also communal. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only about reconciling us with the Father, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is about reconciling us with one another. For for Paul, Jesus is not only the bridge connecting us to the Father. For Paul, Jesus is the sledgehammer that destroys the dividing walls of hostility between all of us. That's the gospel. And this is good news. 
This is good news for a people who have spent time apart. This is good news for a people who live through chaotic and divisive times. This is good news for people who sit in a room together, worshiping a Savior, and yet wondering, how can we possibly be with one another? It's the gospel. Now, how does this practically live out in our homes, in our lives? I think there are a few things that good, healthy families do that I also believe good and healthy families of God will also do. The first one is this, that every healthy family has a way of showing up for one another over and over again. Good and healthy families, they show up for one another. Um, We have a ministry here called Celebrate Recovery, and I absolutely love it. I love it. I love to go there on Tuesday nights because I, I love the fact that it's there where we're seeing family created that is transformative for people. We often think that Celebrate Recovery is a ministry for those who are battling with addiction or substance abuse. It's so much more than that. Celebrate Recovery is really for anyone who is working through any kind of life's habits, hurts, habits, or hang-ups. That's really what Celebrate Recovery is about. And every week, they have a chip ceremony. And someone will get up, and they will hold up a chip, and they will say, this is the blue chip. This blue chip stands for the act of surrender. And if you feel like God is leading you to surrender an area of your life today, we want to invite you to come forward and grab a chip. And maybe they'll also, they'll also hold up another chip of a different color, and they'll say, this chip stands for 30 days of recovery. And if you're celebrating 30 days of recovery, we want you to come and grab a chip. And when people come and they grab that chip, everyone in that room will celebrate. Everyone puts their hands together and they cheer and they celebrate the faithfulness of God to this person in the recovery of this person's life. Because we all know what it's like to be far off without hope, without God. And we know that this God has brought us near. And so it's worth celebrating and yet, the part of the, the evening that I love the most is when they hold up the chip and they give the invitation. And sometimes no one comes up to get the chip. And in that moment, the whole room says together, keep coming back. And then they go on to the next one. And they say, if you're celebrating 30 days of recovery, we want to invite you to come and get this chip. And if nobody comes to get the chip, then they hear the same thing again. Everyone in the room together says, keep coming back. And they go on to the 60 days and they do the same thing. And if no one comes forward, they say, keep coming back. Because here's what we know to be true about family. Is that family always shows up for one another. And what I love about Celebrate Recovery is that you could be there in that room and you're celebrating a year of recovery. Or you could be there in that room and you had just relapsed and you're not sure if you really want to be there. But the invitation for you is the same. Keep coming back. Keep showing up. And this is what families do. Families will show up when they have a reason to celebrate. And families show up when there's a reason to grieve. Families will show up at your ball game. But families will also show up at the hospital bedside. Families will show up at the birth of a child, but families will also show up at the funeral. This is what families do. Families keep coming back. They keep showing up. And this is good news for a people who look around and you wonder, how could I ever regain that momentum? How do I ever regain and rebuild that relational momentum? Keep coming back. Keep showing up because that's 
what families do. And so here's what I would encourage you to do this week. Show up for one person. If you're wondering, how do I regain momentum relationally? Show up for one person. Who is one person today or this week that you could show up for to either celebrate or to grieve with? To rejoice with or to cry with? Who is one person that you could show up for? Beyond that, because I've mentioned CR, I would invite you to pray. Because we have people who are showing up weekly, who are in need of that family, need of that space, need to be there. But they show up with kids, and we have no one showing up for their kids. And so I'd invite you, pray, to see if the Lord would stir you to maybe show up for the kids coming to celebrate recovery. Now, there's another thing that I learned a couple weeks ago that good families do. I was standing in the lobby a couple weeks ago after church, and there was a couple that I was talking to, and they said, hey, if, if you think about it, could you pray for us? In a couple weeks, we're going to go and we're going to travel, so can you pray for us? And I said, absolutely, where are you going? What can I pray for you about? He said, well, we're going to go see my son, who I haven't seen in 12 years. And I said, absolutely, I would definitely pray for you. And I said, I'll, I'll rejoice with you in that. They said, yeah, we're excited, but we're also kind of nervous, we're anxious. And when you ask them why, they, they kind of told us that, well, there's, there's been conflict in our family that has led to us not seeing each other in over 12 years. But my prayer has been, that I would get to see them and I would get to see my granddaughter before she graduated high school. And she's a senior in high school this year. So would you pray for us? I said, when are you going? So we're going to see them on October 24th. So I'll definitely pray for you. And here's what I've learned as I've been praying for them and praying for this day is that there is a place today where a mother will reunite with a son where she will get to see her granddaughter again. There is a place today where there is a way in which conflict doesn't get the last word. Because in good and healthy families, conflict happens, but conflict doesn't get the last word. Jesus, when, or Paul, when he's speaking to the church in Ephesus, he says, he says, this church, this family is being built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And what does that mean? Do you remember when Jesus went and he called his disciples? He called people like Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. Matthew the tax collector worked for the Roman Empire and he swindled people out of their money. Simon the zealot adamantly and violently opposed the Roman Empire and he would have killed people like Matthew the tax collector. And yet Jesus calls them together and they learn how to live with one another, how to be with one another. Can you imagine those dinner tables? Right? And yet he calls them together. And what he does is he invites them to actually be with one another. And then he leads them to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And he asks them this question. He says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answers. And he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say to that? He says, blessed are you, Simon. Right? And he says, on this rock, on this confession that you have made about my lordship, I will build my church. And so Paul takes that and he says, this family that Jesus is bringing together, this family that is coming together, this family is being built on the lordship of Jesus and Jesus alone. And if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus has risen from the dead, then conflict doesn't get the last word in this family, in the family of God. 
If Jesus has risen from the dead, then conflict doesn't get the last word. Love does. If Jesus has risen from the dead, conflict doesn't get the last word. Grace does. Conflict doesn't get the last word. Forgiveness does. So here's what I invite you to do. If you're wondering, how do I regain relational momentum? Here's what I ask you to do. Pray about the one who you have most conflict with. But not just pray. Listen to what God has to say about that person. Listen to what Jesus has to say about that person. And let the word of Jesus be what gets the last word. Not your conflict. Not your disagreement. Not your dispute. Let the word of our Lord get the last word. And there's one last thing that I know good families do. Good and healthy families do. And I learned it from my family. I've got two older brothers, and uh, they're quite a bit older than me. They are 8 and 11 years older than me. And when you grow up with two brothers that are that much older than you, you start to wonder if, like, you were planned or if maybe you were an oops, right? I mean, just, just to be honest. And so there were times growing up that I would ask my mom, I'd sit down with her, and I'd say, like, I, I was an oops, right? Like, you didn't plan me, right? I mean, my, my, my brothers are 8 and 11 years older than me. How could I have been planned? And she would always respond by saying, oh, Daniel, you were always in God's plan. (laughs) That's not quite helping with what's going on in here right now, Mom, but thanks. But having brothers that are that much older than you, there are times that they would be out late at night. And regardless of whether or not my parents would have to get up early the next morning, I would find my mom or dad sitting on the couch waiting up for my brothers. And sometimes they were out so late that my mom got tired of waiting. So what she would tell me is she would say, Daniel, get your coat, get your shoes. And I would ask her, where are we going? She said, we're going to go find your brother. So we'd hop in the car and we'd drive around late at night and we'd look for my brother. We'd knock on doors that we thought they were visiting this friend and we'd look for my brother. And that has always stuck with me. Because I believe that good and healthy families will always help their brothers and sisters find the way home. Good and healthy families will always help their brothers or sisters find the way home, and that is no different in the family of God. I find myself at times going to the backyard, let's say, and I see my son Micah, but I don't see Karis. And so I'll ask Micah, Micah, where's Karis? Where's your sister? Or if I see Karis and I don't see Micah, I'll go out there and I'll say, Karis, where's your brother? And if they answer me and they tell me, well, they're around the corner, they're inside, then I go find them. But if they say, I don't know, then I actually will tell them, well, come, help me find your brother. Come, help me find your sister. Here's what I love about BFC. We have in the past always heard God ask us, where's your brother? Where's your sister? And what we have done in the past is that we have made more room at the table. We create a bigger sanctuary where more people can sit. What we've done in the past is we've heard God ask us, where's your brother, where's your sister? And we've said, we know we have brothers and sisters in Eswatini. So we're going to serve them. We're going to help them. We're going to do everything that we can with the hopes that we can help our brothers and sisters there find the way home. We have recent days heard our father ask us, where's your brother, where's your sister? And we've said, we know we have brothers and sisters in Two Lakes, and so we're going to serve that community. We're going to feed them. We're going to help to heal the body. And we've done all that with the hopes that we can help our brother and sister find the way home. But here's what I would say to you. Pastor Rick and I share this vision 
We would love to see everyone in a group at BFC, but more than that, we would love to see every group partnering in a mission. We would love to see every group listening to our Father ask the question, where's your brother? Where's your sister? And that we would link arms together to be able to find out ways that we could say, we know we have our brothers and sisters over there, and here's what we're doing to, with the hope of helping our brother and sister find the way home. Because here's what I know. If you're ever wondering, how do I regain that relational momentum? If we could get this, if we could understand that families help our brothers and sisters find the way home, if we could be united on that, here's what I know to be true. Relational momentum just builds. Because here's what's true. If you will help me help my brothers to find their way home, it doesn't matter if we've got a different last name. You and I are family. If you have a sibling or a, a loved one who you know is far off without God, you know this to be true. That if someone will help you, help your brother or sister find the way home, then it doesn't matter. You can look at each other and you can say, even though we have this different skin color, even though we have a different upbringing, even though you and I may see the world very differently, if you will help my brother or sister find the way home, then you and I are family now. So here's what we've always had here at BFC. We have always had people asking this question or hearing God ask this question. Who's your brother? Who's your sister? Where's your brother? Where's your sister? And here's what I encourage you to do. Lean in. Listen to that. And find a family to link arms with that we would be able to do things in the community and serve the community in a way where our brothers and sisters would be able to find the way home. Because here is the promise that Jesus gave us. Jesus gave us a promise. That if we could live in such a way, united under the lordship of Jesus, united around his mission of building his church in this world, he said that he would build his church and that it would be moving at such a speed, it would be moving with so much momentum that not even the gates of hell would be able to stand against that. That is our promise. That's the same promise given to us when he asked the question, where's your brother, where's your sister? He's asking you to imagine how can you join the family to help the family bring the brothers and sisters home. And he's promised us that if we live that way, then relational momentum just builds. Because now we know what it's like to be a family, to have a mission. And I promise you that if we did that, not even the gates of hell would stand against the momentum that we could build. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you for your church, for this family to be a part of. I thank you for your word. And God, I pray that you would stir us with a new vision, with a new heart, that you would rekindle a fire in us for your children, that we would love to be in, family, in fellowship with one another, but even more than that, God, that we would love to link arms with one another so that our brothers and sisters could find the way home. So Lord, would you lead us, unite us, bring our hearts together despite all of the differences, the brokenness, the things that we disagree over. Lord, I pray that your, your lordship would reign, that your leadership would be what we are united by, and that we would be united in your heart as well to see your brothers and sisters brought home. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. 
visit us online at bethanynaz.org.